The grandma watches from the sidelines as her six-year-old granddaughter sits down next to another kid, a stranger, at the playground. And the child says, I need a friend. Will you play superheroes with me? The mom holds her four-year-old son in her lap in a darkened theater. It's his first time going to the movies and he had been so excited, but once the movie started, he got totally overwhelmed. And so now the mom has just been quietly whispering, encouraging words to him for over a half an hour. And he's had his ups and downs, but now he's reached a breaking point. And he screams out loud enough for everyone to hear, get me out of here. Get me out of here now. The preschool teacher turns around and notices something unusual on their walk. One of the two-year-olds has decided to just sit right down in the middle of the sidewalk. She's still holding on to her walk buddy's hand. And so the teacher bends down to ask why she's sitting. And the little girl looks up at her with those feverish eyes that kids get when they're sick. And she says, I don't feel good. I sit down. It's 3 a.m. The new dad wakes up with a jolt. The baby is crying again. He pauses and he listens for a minute to see if the baby will settle, but the cry is insistent. And the dad recognizes this. It's a, I need to eat right now kind of cry. He's only two months into this parenting gig and he already knows that there are hungry cries, tired cries, my diaper is wet cries. His feet hit the floor and he's off to help. Children's ministers everywhere breathed a sigh of relief this week when they consulted the lectionary because last week's Bible story about the rich man and Lazarus in Hades was kind of a tricky one for uh, Sunday school. But this week's story is about Zacchaeus. Whew. This is a children's story. We even have a Bible song about it. Thank goodness. Zacchaeus is beloved by children and by Sunday school teachers alike because it is such a great story for kids. There's something about this short grown-up who climbs trees that is so relatable, right? The funny thing is, though, kids aren't really the ones who need the reminders that this story provides. It's a story about vulnerability and expressing need and having those needs met. And those are areas of expertise for most children. Zacchaeus doesn't seem at first glance to be a vulnerable person. We're told right off the bat that he is a tax collector, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector and rich. So we have another rich guy interacting with Jesus, and we start to think, ha-ha, I know where this is heading. We remember the rich guy who ignored Lazarus. We remember the rich guy who couldn't bear to sell all of his possessions and who just couldn't make himself small enough to fit through the eye of Jesus's metaphorical needle. But Zacchaeus is different somehow. We aren't told his motivations, but he wants to see Jesus. And since the crowds were thick, and since drones hadn't been invented yet, he had to find a way to get up higher to see. And so he scampers up a tree, and apparently 
His desire to see Jesus was so great that he didn't mind looking a little silly out in public. I don't think that he ever imagined that Jesus would notice him up there in that tree. And I wonder how he felt when this famous teacher, this stranger, stopped on the side of the road and singled him out and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, you got to come down from there. I need to go over to your house today. His enthusiasm for seeing Jesus led to Jesus seeing him, not just seeing him, mind you, but coming over to his house. Zacchaeus is an interesting character because we are told just enough about him to really pique our curiosity. I have often heard him described as this kind of mean old tax collector that was ostracized by his community. The story goes that this encounter with Jesus changed him and he decides to become more honest in his profession. And the restoration then that Jesus speaks about at the end of the story is about Zacchaeus' repentance and the grace that is extended to him. But there's another way to read this story too. Biblical scholar Robert Williamson Jr. says that we don't actually know that Zacchaeus is dishonest. It's possible that he's doing his job as fairly as he can, but still disliked by the community because, hey, nobody likes the tax man. The NRSV says he's going to give half of what he has to the poor, but the original Greek there is actually in the present tense. So instead, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. The Greek says, I give half of what I have to the poor, and if I cheat anyone, I do my best to make it right. It's something he's already doing. And when you read it this way, it's not so clear that Zacchaeus is repenting here at all. Instead, it sounds a bit more like he's defending himself against the grumblings of the crowd who don't understand why Jesus would single out this tax collector of all people for friendship. If this is the case, then the restoration that Jesus speaks of at the end of the story might be a restoration of Zacchaeus to the community. Here, Jesus says, this man may be a tax collector, but he is also just a person trying to do his best. He's a part of your community. He matters and he is worthy of love. Whichever way we choose to read Zacchaeus, his life is altered by this encounter with Jesus on the side of the road in Jericho. He goes out on an actual limb to encounter Jesus. And when he opens himself up in this way, when he makes himself vulnerable, Jesus enters into his need and offers restoration, healing, transformation. Zacchaeus isn't the only person whose life is altered on this day in Jericho. Before encountering Zacchaeus, he also befriends a man whose name is lost to history. This man is also sitting on the side of the road, but not up in a tree. Instead, this man is down in the dirt, sitting and begging for help on the side of the road. And it feels to me like a prelude to Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into town and the crowd gathers for a parade. And over the din of the crowd, one voice rises above the rest, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Neighbors who are gathered nearby tell the blind man sitting on the side of the road to shh, hush up. There's no need to make a scene. He's coming down the road. He's going to be here soon. Just shh. But the man yells out again, even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Where Zacchaeus didn't seem vulnerable at a first glance, this man wears vulnerability on his sleeve. As a blind person in the ancient world, he would have been utterly dependent on the community for support and care. Are we surprised then that he would so passionately and loudly cry out for Jesus to help? Like Zacchaeus, he is willing to make a spectacle of himself and it makes other people uncomfortable. Like Zacchaeus, he also captures Jesus's attention. Jesus approaches the man and says to him quite simply, what do you want me to do for you? Hearing this, the man goes big. He asks for it all. He asks for his sight to be restored. He isn't afraid to ask for what he really wants, what he really needs. And he believes somehow that Jesus can make this happen. And so he asks and his life is transformed. Jesus enters into his need and offers restoration, healing, transformation. Restoration, healing, and transformation. Jesus offers them without reservation. His model is the reason we continue to do our level best to share hope, to create justice, to meet basic needs in our own communities and the world. We see how Jesus did it. And we feel called to try and do the same, to speak up against injustice, to amplify the voices of those who aren't heard, to build a better world for all people, no exceptions. I know that so many of us are doers. Tell me what to do, Jesus, and I'm on it. I will write a check I will call my elective representatives. I will give my time. I will show up at that rally. Heck, if you need it, Jesus, if you really, really need it, I will even serve on that committee. I sometimes wonder if we get so caught up in the doing that we forget that we not only serve because of Christ, we serve through Christ's power. We are able to creatively resist, build, change, minister through the strength that Christ pours into us. We could not do this work on our own. We are enabled to do it by the one who walked the road to Jerusalem, the one who withstood the overwhelming cheers and jeers, the one who paused and made time to enter into relationship on the side of so many roads, the one who always stood with the marginalized, the one who sought out the vulnerable and restored them to community. This same one is with us here and now. This same one comes to us when we are vulnerable, weary, weak, needy and supports us each and every day. When we are able to follow in the blind man's footsteps, in Zacchaeus's footsteps, and be bravely vulnerable, 
When we scamper up a tree to encounter Jesus or shout out for help, even though people around us tell us to simmer down. When we are able to ask for what we need, like the six-year-old on the playground, the overwhelmed four-year-old at the movies, the two-year-old who sat down because she wasn't feeling well, the baby who needs to eat at 3 a.m. When we seek Christ, Christ will not leave us hanging. I am coming to you, Jesus says in John's gospel. I will not leave you orphaned. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus says to the blind man. And friends, I believe this with my heart to be true. Christ quietly asks the same question of each of us when we turn to him in our honest, real, vulnerable need. What do you want me to do for you? What a gift to be loved into newness by a question like that.